0: A recent cartoon I found in my files depicts a mother sprawled out on a chair with the chaos of a birthday celebration sprawled all around her. Presents, torn wrapping paper, balloons, birthday cake, and melted ice cream strewn everywhere, even on the walls. Standing next to the mother is a little boy who asks this question, so, lady?" When is the next birthday party? Now, I can relate, perhaps you can too, to that exhausted mother ready for a break from all the chaos of all the parties and and their aftermath and more, much more in my life journey. And as a pastor ready for a break from all the high holy days, Easter, Christmas, Advent, Epiphany, and many, many others... I confess that I enjoy all the excitement, the preparation, and even the chaos and the aftermath of all the high holy days that shape our faith and our lives. But sometimes I need a break. I need an in-between time. I need in-between times because I need those times when I can reflect on my journey of faith and take a breather in the church We call this in-between time, ordinary time. Ordinary time is represented by the color green that you see on this pyramid and on my stole because that's the color we see the most in life, especially when you go outside. Ordinary time covers all the time that are not high holy days and last between, give or take, 27 or 29 Sundays. Now, that's a long time, isn't it? But ordinary time is not ordinary at all. It does an amazing thing for us. What is that, you might ask? Ordinary time is a gateway. It invites us to take a breather and discover the extraordinary and how singing the songs of Scripture can redemptively shape us as followers of Christ through whom we discover God's grace, God's forgiveness, and steadfast love for us all. How we can participate in the songs of Scripture by allowing them to shape us so that we can shape the world. We are dead smack in the middle of our sermon series called Make a joyful noise. And today, our scripture lesson is from Psalm 1. I invite you to join me in your bulletin or in the pew Bible that you will find in your pew. Let us hear the word of God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for singing the songs of Scripture to us, with us, and for us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we need to do to obey you and serve as your faithful followers in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like ordinary time, Psalm 1 is also a gateway. Psalm 1 is a gateway that invites us to come and experience the entire book of Psalms, to come and be heard by the Lord, to come and sing our disappointments, our hurt, our loneliness, to come and sing our fears and anxieties, to come and bring everything you have and give it to the Lord who loves you with a love that is much greater than all the hurts and worries that you know in your life altogether. Psalm 1 is an invitation to put our feet on a path of wisdom where we can follow the Lord to focus on God's word, God's ways, God's glory through a posture of praise and adoration. And so let us look together this morning what we can learn from Psalm 1. And I begin by asking this question, how does Psalm 1 shape us so that we can shape the world? Well, first, Psalm 1 teaches us that there are two paths. In Psalm 1, there are two different characters who take two different paths in relationship to God's law. That's the the righteous and the wicked or the evil. Verse 1 makes this assertion, blessed is the man. The righteous man is the blessed man. This is the first path. In verse 1, we see two important words. Blessed, we've talked about that through our liturgy. Harvey has shared that in his liturgy. And man. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. The Hebrew word for blessing is baruch. Blessing is also translated as happy in other translations. So what does blessing really mean? Blessed means anything that God provides that satisfies us in him. Even more, blessing or blessed means anything that connects us closer to Jesus Christ. The other word, as I said earlier, is the word man. The Hebrew word for man is ish. One commentator I read said that this man in Psalm 1 is not only a blessed man, he is a representative man, a particular righteous, godly man. Psalm 1-1 asserts, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. In the remainder of verse 1, the psalmist describes a movement away from God and God's word through three sets of three. Walk, stand, and sit. That's the first set. Counsel, way, and seat. That's the second set. Wicked, sinners, and scoffers. That's the third set. What I want you to see here, to observe here, is a steady movement, a progression of departure that that is influenced by sin away from God and away from God's Word. Walking, standing, sitting. That's three postures. The blessed man chooses not to embed himself in the ways of thinking according to the counsel of the wicked or behave or live according to the ways of sinners or belong according to the ways of the scoffer who sits in the scoffer's seat. That's the way sin works in our lives. Sin deceives, sin lures and moves us away from God and God's word. Scoffers are the height of sinners. They mock at God and his ways, God's word. They define truth for themselves. They totally rebel of God's ways. And God's word, so the wicked are scoffers. This is the second path. But blessed is the man, happy is the righteous, blessed man, who is not moved, not deceived, not lured, who does not follow those ways of thinking, believing, behaving, living or belonging. Blessed is the man, happy is the man who meditates. Now, that's another word I want us to pay attention to. The Hebrew word used here for meditate literally means to vocalize or sing. Psalm 1 teaches us that there are two different paths to follow as a way of life. Second, Psalm 1 compares the two different paths with two different images. In verses 3 and 4, the psalmist compares the two different paths, the righteous and the wicked, with two different images. In the first image, the psalmist compares the blessed, righteous, representative man who meditates on God's Word day and night with the following image. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Now, I want you to imagine with me a beautiful garden uh, your garden may be beautiful now in your garden. I, I bet it's being stressed like now, like all of us, our gardens are with the heat and the drought. But I want you to imagine a beautiful garden with flowing streams of water and trees that yield all kinds of fruit, where the blessed, righteous, representative man thinks, behaves, belongs, and speaks according to the will of God. His creator, God. Listen to these words of Scripture from Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Then later in Genesis 2, beginning with the 15th verse, we observe the Lord God giving his word to this man. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Then in Genesis 3, beginning with the first verse, we witness this man moving away from God and God's word toward his death, a progressive departure by listening to and believing the serpent, who is the scoffer, who mocks God and God's word. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate and she also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they both knew they were naked. Because the man chose to turn away from God and God's word. He sat in the scoffer's seat. He followed the serpent's lead and mocking God and his ways. He chose to divine to find truth for himself. He totally rebelled of God's ways and God's word. He became like chaff, with no anchor, no grounding, so that the wind could easily blow it away. That's the other image in this section. So who can save this man? This representative man and you and I. Only one person can do that. He is God's representative man. And Psalm chapter 2 sings of the reign of the Lord's anointed, God's Messiah who will usher in his kingdom on earth. And that is what the entire book of Psalms celebrates. Listen to these words from Scripture. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage in the ends of the earth. Your possession, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Friends, you and I can learn to sing the Psalms without ceasing that will redemptively shape us by following and delighting in Christ. That's our third point we learned this morning, in whom we discover God's grace, forgiveness, and steadfast love for us all. The Lord Jesus Christ summed up the law that we read about in Psalm 1 in this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Christ is God's blessed representative man who has obediently lived out Psalm 1 on our behalf and paid for our sin and death that we deserve, when we follow Christ who is walking ahead of us, when we take refuge in him, when we learn to delight in Christ, we choose wisdom and we learn to delight in his word, where we can read about, all about, and know who Christ is and sing this psalm and all of scripture because he is God's living word. Listen to these gospel words from the gospel of Mark. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who who followed him were afraid. And taking the twelve again, began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. It is a great decisive moment in history. It portrays impressively the courage of Jesus facing all that he knew that would happen to him in Jerusalem, yet walking ahead on that road. It is clear from our scripture, from Mark, that Jesus knew, knew that he was not walking toward a parade, but toward a cross. Not walking toward popularity, but toward pain and suffering. And they were going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead. Jesus Christ and his disciples walking ahead toward both palms and pain. Jesus walking ahead with resolute purpose, The disciples walking behind, dragging their feet, totally afraid. All of us in this room face such Jerusalems in our own lives. We should easily relate to the disciples trudging half-heartedly behind. We might think of our own personal suffering. We might think of the suffering of a loved one in the hospital today. We might think of a young child suffering for lack of food and proper medical care. Yes, we identify with the disciples, fearful and afraid. Jesus walking ahead. There are a couple of things we can observe about this and observe about Jesus. First, Jesus Christ suffers and identifies with us in our pain. A number of years ago, a marvelous British Theologian and Bible translator J.B. Phillips wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. If you haven't read that book yet, you can find it on Amazon. I hope you can read it this afternoon. It's wonderful. It has remained one of my favorites to this day. The book made the point that God is much bigger than any of us could ever imagine him to be. Most of our concepts of God are too limiting. They're too confining. It is not possible to wrap up God who laid the foundations of the earth and scattered the stars in the heavens to wrap up God in a small little tidy package neatly in a Presbyterian bow. J.B. Phillips makes a very valid point, but today I wish to say something very different than your God is too small. Today, I feel important to say your God is too big. For many of us, your God is too big to keep his eye on the sparrow, too big to have numbered the hair on our heads, too big to care about every abused child, too big to worry about the children in the world around us, and there are millions of them, too big to be concerned about all of the hungry of the world or the sick or the dying, but it is the suffering of Christ that reaffirms to us that he knows the righteous, and that's a promise in Psalm number one. He knows about our pain. He does more than know about us, more more about our pain. He has experienced it himself. The big thing to remember on a day like today is that God is not defeated by the presence of suffering in our lives. Our suffering may be because of a good plan and purpose for us, or it may be because the world is kind of out of kilter. Either way, what I affirm today is that God identifies with us by being there too. The Christian faith does not pretend to believe that life is easy or that we don't have troubles. On the contrary, it recognizes that life is hard and full of troubles and that none of us are promised any rose gardens in the Gethsemanes of our lives. Having faith is no guarantee of immunity to suffering, but having faith does give us a handle to hold on to when that ride gets rough. It points us in the direction of wisdom and light when the night is dark. Jesus walking ahead, the disciples trudging behind, The image reminds us that Jesus identifies with us in suffering and pain. And then finally, it is a vivid reminder to us that Jesus triumphs over our suffering and pain and death for us. Hear Mark again. And they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Christ not only bore our suffering on the cross, he triumphed over it. He not only descended into hell, he ascended into heaven. He walks ahead and has conquered ultimately death and pain and suffering. It is little comfort to be told by the Lord, let not your hearts be troubled if it's not true that he walks ahead. And after three days, he was risen that he walks ahead to prepare a place for us and readies to sing with him the praises of God. I know that each Sunday, too many people who feel very much like the disciples we just talked about. Jesus is up ahead somewhere. You drag behind. You have feelings of fear and dread about the future, There is a gnawing dread that what is ahead is filled with pain and suffering. Sometimes on this journey, you feel that you've absolutely lost sight of Him. Maybe the journey you're on is not a happy one at present. You can feel the air getting colder and the night getting darker, and you begin asking questions in this darkness, such as, Will I ever get over this loneliness? Will I ever be able to marry again? Will I ever get another job? Will my health ever return? Will we ever be able to retire and have at least a few years of happiness? I don't have an answer to those questions. But I do know one thing, and I'll preface it with a question. How can we participate in the songs of Scripture, in the songs of the Psalms, by allowing them to shape us? It's this way. If you love the Lord Jesus, then delight in him as your Lord and Savior and listen for his invitation to you to walk in wisdom. Continue to follow his lead, trusting him to be your strength, especially when you're in that moment of weakness. Continue to walk that Jerusalem road toward love and justice, knowing full well along the way it won't be easy. If so, you will have a future with him. It is a future that you can have now, building upon and investing in every day of your life. When we delight in Jesus and his work he has done for us, we delight in and learn to sing the songs of Scripture together with Jesus and sing his praise, honor, and and glory while celebrating his faithfulness who sings to us with us and for us every day and every night let us pray thank you O god for giving us your grace to follow your son and delight in wisdom and self-giving bearing courage thank you for giving us your grace to delight in your word Lord, you know that we are human. You created us. You know that we drag our feet behind you when we contemplate our pain or suffering or that of our loved ones. Help us to see suffering in our life for what it is. And in it, may we discover your presence and learn to sing songs of scripture while being shaped by your grace to shape this world as your disciples. We pray this prayer In the strong and saving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.